So if you have not been here, if, this, if you're a guest today, let me just say this. I, I feel like that you are a gift from God. You are something that God has called us as a church to steward, that we, we are incredibly glad you're here, whether you're visiting family from out of town and joining us, whether you're, you're here for the first time. I've talked to somebody who lives in the neighborhood and saw us on Facebook and, is, and just walked here. And so whether that's you or you're from out of state, whatever it is, we are incredibly grateful for you being here this morning. And so again, I can't, I can't ask you enough. Would you please fill out the connection card? Let us have that. I'll follow up with an email to you and just ask you how I can serve you, how we as a church can serve you. Just as Nicole said, we're in John chapter 20. And let me uh, explain how we got there. And so we have been here every night of the week, and we have been walking through the final week of Jesus' life. So starting on Palm Sunday, last Sunday, the day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem, headed towards the cross, all the while telling his disciples, telling those around him that he is headed towards the cross, that he's going to give his life for the sins of the world, that anyone that desires to follow him could and can be covered by his blood. And so he's been proclaiming this, but they don't really get it. Now imagine you're hearing this story for the first time, maybe you don't get it. But imagine even more, you were the disciples 2,000 years ago, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to die, but I'll be back. You can imagine how that might be confusing, right? You would imagine if I said something like that, you would be trying to find a way out of here, correct? So they don't get it. And so he has served them, he has literally washed their feet, uh, served them a Passover meal and started to define it differently as communion, as what we call communion. Saying, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood shed for you, a promise that your sins are forgiven. And so all this, and then he was betrayed, accused falsely, condemned falsely, and then executed in the most violent death known in human history, hung on a cross. And so here Jesus, again, followed by many, yes, we hear about the 12 disciples, but he had hundreds of people that would follow around, crowds of thousands would gather as he would feed the masses miraculously. He would heal people miraculously, even nearing his, his final week of life, even raising the dead. There's no turning back if you're Jesus once you raise Lazarus, who has been dead for days. There is no turning back. It is your time now to lean in and do all that you have promised to do. And so Jesus willingly turns himself over, is beaten and crucified, hung on a cross, and then the night before the preparation meal, they, they rest him in a grave. So we pick up the story here, and really it's not the end of the story, though it's the end of the book of John. It's not the end of the story. It's, it's kind of like how each Star Wars movie leaves you at the end with another like, oh, oh, that's where Luke's been all this time, right? Like, oh, this is something new is happening. I know, I'm a nerd, but I grew up on those, right? The old ones, really old. They look funny now, but they're great. This is the beginning. This teases the next thing. Jesus is hung on a cross, laid in a grave, and his disciples and followers, his loved ones and friends, have been hanging on for three days. Everything they thought about Jesus, they question now. 
Everything they thought about him being the promised one of God, they now question. Like, he's really dead. I've seen him in the grave. Mary and his mom Mary and the other Mary, the women have been going and they've been embalming and caring for his body. What do we do? Today's Easter Sunday, it's a different kind of Sunday. It is, it is not only where we get to celebrate the greatest message in, in all of the Bible. We do that all the time. We celebrate the resurrection all the time. We talk about the living Jesus every Sunday. But today is unique, and not just because you are here, which we incredibly appreciate. But today is the day where really two billion plus people today will celebrate one of the most well-documented miracles in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It is on this day that for thousands of years, Christians have gathered, and typically many Christians have waited for this day, and on this Resurrection Sunday, that they will make that profession of faith and get baptized, and we're, we're doing that today. We have we have folks that are, have been asking for baptism, been wanting to be baptized, who wanted to identify themselves as followers of Jesus, and we get to do that today. Many in the church throughout history used to do baptisms only on Easter, and they would have people lined up and fast and pray and, until they could come and be baptized on Easter Sunday. We do it four, five, six times a year. But this Sunday is always special to me. And so I'm just going to tell you this. We have people that are prepared to be baptized, and then we are going to extend that invitation to you as well. And I know maybe you came here as your first time. Maybe you've never stepped foot in a church before, and that's okay. I know you're not prepared for baptism, but we're prepared for you. And so we're going to tell you the story of Jesus, how Jesus rose from the dead. We're going to tell you the very gospel that has impacted all the lives that you look around you and see, all, all those, those 2.2 billion people that will gather today all across the globe, over the next week, that will celebrate this day. And we're going to invite you into that. And so I'm going to give you just, we always, every Sunday, we kind of start off with a main idea. And so I'm just going to put this up. If you're a note taker, here it is. Easter celebrates Jesus rising from death. John's gospel, what we're in today, shares several reactions to the resurrection and calls us to identify ourselves in the story by asking what our response is to the living Jesus. Let me just suggest this to you. If someone came and said he was God in human flesh and proclaimed he would live and die and raise from death, and if that person came and did that, validating he is exactly who he says he is, it should impact your life. It should transform you. You should hear that and want to know more. You should hear of the only one who died and lived again, never to die. Jesus, you, that should impact you. If God is real, if Jesus is who he says he is, you should want to know, well, then how do I find out more? I hope that today, if you've never heard this message, that you will hear that, and your desire will be for more. So I'm going to pray for us, and we will dive right in. Jesus, thank you that we get to come and pray to you just as billions of people do. And today, churches will, will overflow with family and friends and guests, people who may have 
heard this story before, maybe they were in a church last Easter, maybe for the first time someone walked through the door never hearing the message that you rose from death. Let that impact us. Jesus, as I often pray, let me fade somewhere into the background. Jesus, my words do nothing. Your words give us life. And so Jesus, would you come? Would you speak? May we hear your voice. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. John chapter 20, if you borrowed a Bible from the seat in front of you, it starts on page 906. We're going to pick up in John chapter 20. This is John's gospel. Just We've been walking through from chapter 12 last Sunday, 13 on Monday, 14, 15 on Tuesday, 16 on Wednesday, 17 Jesus' prayer on Thursday. We walked all the way through 18 and 19 on Good Friday. And today we're going to finish the book. And today we're just going to work through it. There's so much we could talk about. There's so much there, and it's a large passage we're going to cover today. So I'm just going to do this. I'm going to simplify it down to one thought. How do people respond when Jesus raises from death. I'm just going to ask that question. I'm going to identify different responses. And I'm going to ask you to say, where do you find yourself in this story? What I love about the Bible is this is not some fictional story about superheroes and people that do unnatural things. This is, this is the history and the chronicle of real people who make really big mistakes and really big misunderstandings and do also really great things, but they're human and they're identifiable. They're real people just like you and me. They have real reactions to this. And I just want you to see if there's not someone in here that you identify with. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So here we are. Jesus has been removed from the cross. He is dead. They have pierced his side, seen blood and water flow out letting them know he is dead, clinically, medically dead, that his life has been gone. They have taken him off of that and they have laid him in a tomb. This tomb was then covered by a stone and the seal of Rome was put over the stone because leading up to this, many had, pro had been saying, Jesus proclaimed to raise from the dead. There's a really funny story about Houdini and if you're old enough to know who Houdini is, you may know the story. If you're not... Houdini was this epic escape artist for many years, probably the best that ever lived. I know new people are doing that. I know escape artists don't draw a big crowd, but understand Houdini was huge. And so Houdini proclaimed all his life, listen, I will also escape death. So much so, he said, I want you to bury me with a telephone. Now you understand, this is back when telephones had dials and cords, all right? Young people, just ask your parents, right? They used to have these little dials, and it was a really, it was a thing, right? No area codes. It was crazy, all right? Well, there came a time where he died, and they actually did that. Now, imagine, people said, okay, well, we'll do this. There also came a time when someone had to cut the cord, because Houdini's still in the grave. But this rumor about Jesus, this proclamation of Jesus, people were taking this seriously enough to where they took steps in the direction of, listen, we're not going to allow some hoax to come in and make some martyr out of this man Jesus. There's no way we're going to let this story perpetuate. So they rolled him into a tomb, rolled this massive stone that it took multiple men to move, and then sealed it with a Roman seal. 
And what they would do is they would open it up so you could care for the body. They would close it up until Mary comes this day and finds the tomb was still dark and the stone has been rolled away. No one's there. Verse 2, it says, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. John doesn't name himself the author of this gospel. He calls himself the one Jesus loved. He felt so close, probably the closest person to Jesus while Jesus was alive, closest person in those three years of ministry. And so John writes from this place, not of saying he is better, that Jesus loved him more. He's actually writing it from a, a place of humility and just not naming himself. And so Peter, probably one of the most famous disciples, is told about this, and Peter and John head back to the tomb. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other outran Peter. There's also been a lot of competition between John and Peter. And I like that John doesn't name himself, but he does note that he beat Peter in a foot race. <laughs> But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he went to the linen cloth lying there on the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. So in these days, again, this is much different than our era. Embalming is different. The clothing is different. Everything is different. They would wrap them in burial clothes, uh, like think almost like a mummy. They would, like, would wrap them in similar ways, rest them in the tomb, and now they come in, and not only is Jesus not there, but the burial clothes are there. Verse 8, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, so John writing about himself, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So not only did the disciples not understand the scripture, now imagine when they say this, right? If, if you're a Christian today, a modern Christian, as we look at the Bible, we have what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. The first two-thirds of the Bible was written before Jesus was ever born, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. First two-thirds of that, we call that the Old Testament, really separated by those things written before Jesus and after Jesus. The last third being called the New Testament really compiles the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of those disciples of Jesus. Now, a lot of Christian churches don't dive into the Old Testament a whole lot, but imagine you're the first century disciple. Your Bible is the Old Testament. That is what you had. And this Old Testament had been, prop had been promising, God had been promising through those who spoke on his behalf that there would be coming a Messiah, a promised one, one who would come and redeem God's people, one who would come and be a permanent sacrifice for sin. And so as his disciples are writing this, John, as we talked about this week, John often gives some parenthetical notes, some, some inside commentary, and he does this. John went into the tomb, and immediately John believed. But he says, now understand that we didn't understand the scriptures that had said this until we saw it. And again, not to judge too critically, imagine how hard that would be to believe. And so then even as Jesus is, is noting these passages of promise about the resurrection and saying, I have to die, but I'll be back in three days. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, he says, I too will be in the belly of the earth and then arise. But imagine how hard that is to understand, even harder to believe. 
So John goes in, it clicks, and John immediately believes. So here's our first response, and we'll put this up for you. John believed immediately. No more evidence, no more proof required, but simply the word of God becomes true to him. Should be him, excuse me. Though it is rare, some people respond to Jesus this quickly. I am not one of them. Let's be fully, full disclosure, I'm not on there. Some people hear this message and the first time it just makes sense or, or they've heard it before and they show up maybe on an Easter and they hear this and they're like, okay, that makes sense and I want to believe right now. That was John. John shows up and John believes immediately. Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look inside the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? So angels are speaking to her. And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Assuming he's still dead, just moved. Having seen this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know that it was Jesus. Now, Mary Magdalene was an incredibly broken, uh, sinful, hurting woman. Until Jesus entered into her life, and Jesus healed her, began to transform her, and she becomes a new person. Literally, just becomes so different than who she had ever been. And so in this, the very answer to her sin and shame, the very, the very healing for her brokenness was Jesus. And she still just doesn't understand, like I thought it was going to look so different with Jesus. I thought we were entering into Jerusalem and it was going to, like he was going to become the king or something. Like I, I, we thought it was going to look different. And I've been, I've been coming and caring for his body because he made such, a, such an impact in my life. And now even his body is gone. Like me, first his life is gone. And, and I can still at least show my gratitude for Jesus by, by caring for him as he lays in a grave. I could do this just to thank him for all he's done for me. And she is weeping and, and just wanting to know where have they taken my Lord. And angels are speaking to her, but she is sobbing and not understanding what's going on until she turns around and Jesus is there, but she has no idea it's Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Listen, supposing him to be the gardener. Let's just admit that's funny. All right. But she, Mary is here and she is weeping and sobbing. Her, her life is just upside down right now. She's not, she didn't have any answers. And so somebody's talking to her, it's angels. She doesn't get that. She turns around, there's Jesus, and Jesus is speaking to her, but she's not, she just doesn't put it together. She just, like, that's just got to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher or rabbi. Here's the second response. Mary who is so broken, so hurting, so in need, so longing for the Jesus who had transformed her life that it takes her a minute until Jesus speaks her name. Mary Magdalene is broken from the loss of Jesus. She can't see Jesus through her tears, but he speaks her name and she responds. Many people find Jesus through personal pain and trial in life. 
Jesus calls out to the broken. Now, maybe you're here today, and maybe you're here, and you're in a place where you feel like, man, I am just in pain and in need. That's more of where I was. That's a bit of where I was. But maybe you're here, and you're just, you're longing for an answer. And I would suggest to you today that if you listen, Jesus is calling your name. That if you listen today, not me, let me get out of the way, but that Jesus longs to call your name and meet you in your pain and in your brokenness. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Note that her response is obedience. Her response is joy. Her response is to join in sharing Jesus' message with others. I love that she goes from brokenness and tears to joy to jumping in on the mission with Jesus. I'm going to go tell everybody Jesus is alive. That's what Mary responds with. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So Jesus being betrayed by the Jewish religious elite, if you will, the the religious leadership, those were the ones that were really seeking to kill him. Roman authorities had to do it, but even over the time of the trial, Pilate kept saying, I find no guilt in him. Why are you pushing this death? Why are you pushing me to execute him? And finally, Pilate relents and does it. But this Jewish religious leadership is trying to rid the earth of Jesus and his disciples because he has come and challenged them and, and, and again, taught with such authority and performed miracles and is, has a following of people that believe in him. Now, many of these people are struggling with the idea that he died and they don't understand it. But the many that are hanging on to belief are locking themselves in rooms. And I love that it says that through that locked door, somehow, Jesus appears in this room. He says, peace be with you. I love that. As he goes through a locked door, I'm guessing they needed a sentence like, peace be with you, right? Like all of a sudden, somebody else is in here. How is this happening? This actually happens twice in this passage. I wasn't really, had never really noticed that. Verse 20, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Mary had already gone and told them. Peter and John had already, seen, had already seen. John had already believed. Peter left, and we'll pick him up at the end of this passage. But the message is out. Jesus has risen from the grave. The story is being told now, but they're gathering inside, inside of this locked room for fear of the religious leadership per- persecuting them as well. But they don't yet believe that Jesus is alive. And again, You can't fault them. Imagine this is the story you were hearing for the first time. But Jesus now, in a sense, miraculously appears in this room where they're all hiding, and peace be with you, and he shows them. He shows them the nails in his hands. He shows them the the, the piercing in his side, the nails in his feet. He, He shows them it's really him. And they respond, and they believe. Some people require proof. The disciples in the room don't believe at first until seeing Jesus' hands and feet. Many people want to investigate Jesus for themselves. Proof is often found in the transformed lives and stories of others who follow Jesus. Let me say it this way. 
My story is one that has, is just littered with drug addiction and crime and, and being in and out of jail. It just, it's a horrible, ugly story. Imagine the witness that, that is now that over the last 20-some years that that is no longer me. And imagine those in my family who did not know Jesus, had have seen this, that have seen this transformation and know over years, I tried to stop, I tried to be different, but I was not capable of making those changes, obviously. And then literally overnight something takes place and, and Jesus does something really miraculous and transformative. Can you imagine the story, the proof of Jesus that this is to my family? Those that have come to faith through this story, the, the proof has been in changed lives. Some people need that. Some people need to see it. Some people believe immediately. Some need really some personal encounter with Jesus. Some need some proof. Some need to continue to investigate. Verse 21, it says, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So he calls them to the same thing. I want you to go and tell everyone I'm alive. This, this you have seen me, now I want you to go and be my witnesses. I want you to go and tell other people that I'm alive. This message, this, this gospel that I have overcome, Satan, sin, and death, that I have overcome all this, this message needs to go out into the world. And when he had said this, verse 22, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. There's a passage in Acts that we often talk about related to baptism. And Peter goes out after Jesus ascends up to heaven. And they're empowered to go out and make this message. And Peter, who's going to have some epic failures here in a couple verses, Peter becomes just transformed by the resurrected Jesus. Walks out, he preaches this message in front of thousands of people. And thousands come to faith. And they do this, they say this, Peter, what must we do to be saved? And Peter's answer to them is repent and be baptized. And repent just means turn from your sin. That's, that's all it means. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And he makes this promise, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus will come and rest inside of you. The, the Spirit of new life, of transforming power of Jesus will come and will live inside of you. That's what he calls them to. Jesus is actually living this out with his disciples. He is transformed. They're seeing him. They're hearing him call his name. They're being transformed by the living Jesus. And he says, now be filled with my spirit and go and tell others about me. We're here today because people follow that command. That someone told someone and generations later, here we are on a different continent in a different language, in a different place, celebrating the same thing that Jesus is alive. You guys are really quiet. Like, that would have been an amen moment, I think, right there. Like, that Jesus is alive. Amen. Okay, good, all right. I just want to make sure you're not sleeping or something, right? If you guys are in overflow or live stream, I hope you're wide awake and drinking coffee. All right. You guys, let's do this. We, are, we have been growing a live stream audience, people that are joining from all across the country. Will you guys just welcome them? Will you say thank you for them listening in? That's huge, all right? And there are folks from our church right now, leaders in our church, that knew this room was filling out, and so they're sitting in the overflow in the cafe. They're about 20 seconds behind us. So they're trying to figure out why people are clapping right now. But they wanted you to have a seat. And so just know, we've been waiting for you. And we love you. 
And if you're here, we hope to see you again. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It's a strong statement, right? He wasn't there. He wasn't at the table. He wasn't in the room. He wasn't hanging out with the other disciples when Jesus somehow shows up inside this locked room and shows everybody, look, it's me. And Thomas hears this from multiple people. Now, there's, there's you know, close to a dozen people for sure that are telling Thomas Jesus is alive. There's the women at the tomb. For sure, there's John. There's the other disciples that are in this room, whoever, whichever disciples that was. There's these people, and they're beginning to tell this message. And, and Thomas just says, listen, unless I can touch his side, unless I can touch his hands, I will never believe. See, some people struggle to believe. And, and I... And I get that. This is a message that comes with the greatest miracle ever. That it takes, it takes something to move towards that and give your life to that. To worship something you can't see clearly. To believe in something that there's tons of proof in, but maybe not up front. That it's hard. And Thomas is, again, Thomas is just honestly like one of us. Just like some of us in the room. Like until this, I will never believe. I bargained my way to Jesus. I prayed, Jesus, you always said you could fix my life. If you can fix my life, I'll follow you. Like I bargained my way in. I don't recommend anyone do that. But Jesus even met me in my stupidity and brokenness, really. And answered a prayer that I, who am I to demand anything of the God of the universe but Jesus met me in that place. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Again, keep saying that. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So now Thomas is with the disciples. The others are there, and they're believers. They're all, they already have seen Jesus. They believe Jesus is alive. This is well over a week later now. Thomas is still digging in his heels and saying, like, hey, I'm not going to believe. i got to see him. I haven't seen him. I want to know. And so now Jesus shows up. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas believes. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not, who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Christianity is a faith, not a religion. It's really not a system of do's and don'ts. It's the faith in a living Jesus. Faith is not some blind acceptance of something somebody else says. I use a silly example. It's even in the book. I use the example of a chair. Like, I have faith that that chair is going to hold me. The reason I have faith in that is because I just was sitting in it, right? It doesn't take a lot of faith, but I believe it does. But because I've sat in that chair, I kind of have faith that that one will hold me too, and then I've sat in other chairs and couches and stools and whatever else. And so I kind of believe in something. The more proof that I get, the more I know. And I've, I've also tried to sit in some little kid's chair in a classroom and didn't work out well. <laughs> causing me to lose some weight and really consider my health, right? But I also know what to question. 
right? I take the facts that I know of, put it together, and I have faith that the chair will hold me, but it's not blind. It's not ignorant. It's not against knowledge. It's because of knowledge. And so Christianity is a faith. Christianity is based on truth. It is based on facts. It is based on transformed lives. It is based on a Bible that has been the same for thousands of years that God has somehow supernaturally kept in place. No other faith has that. No other faith has a text they say is inerrant and infallible and will, not, will survive and will not err us. It's a faith, but it's a faith built on truth and facts. Personal experience. Thomas didn't believe when others shared about seeing Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus personally. Jesus meets Thomas in his weakness and still does that for us today. But he reminds us that blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. People who wait for proof after proof often miss the blessing of believing. People who wait too long just, well, I just, I need more proof. I need more proof. I'm not asking you to accept something you can't believe. I'm just saying, when you just dig in and until Jesus audibly speaks to me and appears like he did to them, I will not believe. Let me just suggest he might. He might not. But you may be missing the blessings of faith in the meantime. Often tell people that are like, I want to make this step of faith. I want to believe in Jesus. I want to get baptized. I want to do this, but I still have questions. Like I've made this a lifetime of education. I still have questions for sure. I can answer a lot. I've, I've gotten a lot of answers to a lot of questions, but the more I learn, I have more questions. I, I'm a finite being trying to understand an infinite God. I will always have questions. But I have come to the conclusion that I can deeply trust and believe this. The folks in this room that call this church home deeply trust and believe the message of the living Jesus. And if you're willing to take that step of faith, I would encourage you. Jesus will meet you there. Jesus will begin to answer those questions and empower you to live a, a transformed life. Verse 30, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. Now again, John is writing this letter, and John is not ashamed of telling us exactly why he wants to give us this letter as this book, if you will. He says, but these are written, verse 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John gives his purpose. Listen, I write the things I write because I want you to believe in Jesus. I want you to get what I've got. I'm here this morning telling you about this because I want you to have what I've give, been given. I want you to share in the joy and the life and the things that I have been given. I want you to know the Jesus that has changed my life. I want you to know the love and the presence. I'm trying to ignore it, pretend I don't hear it, right? <laughs> I want you to believe. I want you to know what I've been given. I saw all the faces looking over. And I'm like, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> Listen, the story of the gospel is so simple. It's, it, it is profound in its impact, but it's so simple. It's about the story of, of a God who created us and loves us, a God who designed us to be worshipers of his, that we are created to love and worship Jesus, and that all of us throughout history have fallen and failed that. We've sinned. We've, we've gone our own direction. Sin is really simple. It's saying, God, I know you created me and designed me and know what's best for me, but right now in this moment, I know better for myself. It's that simple. It's choosing our way and not God's. We've all done it. We all do it. We'll all continue to do it. 
But that has drawn people so far that we are so far separated from God that we can't get back. But God in his benevolence and generosity and love, God said, you'll never make it back, so I'll just come to you. So God became flesh in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, said, I will put on flesh. I will live the life you've been called to live, and I will do it without sin, and I will do it without fail. I will do it honoring Jesus with, I mean, honoring God with every step I take. And then in your place, I will go and suffer your death. I will go and sacrifice myself on a cross. I will go and hang, literally, I want you to get this image, I will literally hang between heaven and earth, between God and humanity as a mediator, as a bridge back to the holy God for a sinful and shameful people. And so Jesus gave his life for our sin, but he raises from the grave to give us new life. If you're here today and you feel trapped, you feel trapped in a, a sin, an addiction, in a pain, maybe something you've caused, maybe something someone else has done to you, there is new life in the resurrection. There is, that was a good time for an amen. That was good. Whoever did that. All right. There's new life in Jesus. Wherever you are, whatever it is you need from Jesus, there's new life. And I want you to hear that today. John 21. We're going to do about half of this and be quick. Verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter. Now, understand, Peter was one of the closest people to Jesus, but Peter failed epically. Peter had denied Jesus on the night he was betrayed three times, once to a little servant girl. He is just shamed, right? He just has put this, this shame and guilt on himself for denying Jesus when Jesus was going to the cross. And so literally, Peter, who used to be a fisherman before he came, became a student and follower of Jesus, when he fails this epically, this publicly in front of his friends where Jesus can see him and he denies him three times in Jesus' hardest moment, Peter says, I'm going back to fishing. Not like I'm going on vacation, like I'm going back to my old life. I'm gonna go back and be a fisherman. I can't make it as a follower of Jesus. So in all these stories of people going to the tomb, disciples gathering together, meeting together, Jesus showing up, Peter's not around. Peter, one of the three closest friends of Jesus while he's alive, has gone back to fishing. And the other disciples keep hanging out with him, but he's just not, he's just not there yet. So Jesus goes out and meets Peter. Simon Peter, verse 2, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast out the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now understand, these are professional fishermen. These are the guys that know how to do it. And they've got nothing. They struck out because if you have ever fished, that happens, right? And there they are. It's morning, nothing to eat. And Jesus calls out to the, from the shore. They don't know it's him. He asks, hey, do you have any fish? Do you have anything to eat? And they say no. He says, here's what I want you to do. Take your nets off this side, and I want you to just cast your nets off this side. They're so at the bottom of their night. They're like, hey, let's just try it, right? Let's just do it. it says they, so they cast it out, 
And they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. I'll say this, sometimes we just need a miracle. Sometimes we just need something bigger than ourselves to point to. Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. John tells Peter, look, I've been telling you alive, he's alive. Peter, there's Jesus. Look. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. So Peter's out there working, and I imagine him in board shorts and flip-flops, right? He's a fisherman. He's probably got like some big fish tattoo or something on his chest. I don't know, but Peter's out working, right? He's got his jacket on. He doesn't need this. He's just out working. But now, through this miracle, this, this fish, this, they're professionals who can't catch fish. And this guy on the sand says, throw it over on this side. And they can barely haul in how many fish that they get. And John says, Jesus. And finally, Peter realizes, oh, he's here for me. I needed that. He literally jumps in the sea, starts swimming. Like, I need Jesus so bad at this moment, I will do whatever it takes to get there. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. Peter's response is about redemption. So that was me. Again, I was that person. I just, I questioned if the things that I had ever done, if all the things that I did, were they even forgivable? Would Jesus even want me? And that prayer I prayed was so like, if, if, man, if you're real, Jesus, if you're real, if you can fix me, I'm in. Some other day I'll tell you the circumstances. If you're our guest here and you turn in a connection card, I'll tell that story in the book. But I'll, I, just, I will share that story with you of how Jesus met me there. But I'll say this, it was miraculous. It was redeeming. It was healing. It was transforming. So much so, literally, I have never been the same person. Here's Peter. It's a story of redemption. Next slide. Peter is someone who felt like he had been too bad to be forgiven. Jesus died to forgive the broken and hurting. Those that think they're too far gone, and he rose from the dead to give them new life. That's you and me. If you're there, if you're just wondering, I don't know if Jesus can ever, would ever want to, would be willing to fix this, that's for you. Jesus died to cover your sin. Jesus rose from the grave to give you new life. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, that simple gospel message about God's love being born in Christ, that sinless life just given over to us, that victorious life gets to become ours, not overnight, it's not perfect. It's not like we never make any mistakes anymore. All of us that, that go here will tell you, make mistakes all the time. We choose the wrong things all the time. But Jesus meets us in that. If you're just willing to meet him there, he desires to meet you. I'll close with this verse. Verse 9, it says this. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with a fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. Now one of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. 
Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so, and so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Here's what I wanted to end with that passage for. I think Jesus today is saying the same thing. Would you come and would you eat with me? Would you be family with me? Would you join with us? What is your response? As I said earlier, every Easter, over 2.2 billion people worldwide, we are the largest faith, celebrate the most well-documented miracle in history, the resurrection of Jesus. This is the, the very thing that splits time in half from before Christ into the year of our Lord, or common era before common era. Even though people are trying to get away from the word Jesus, it still splits time in half. We still mark time by one man, the man who lived and died and rose from death. So I'd ask you this, how will you respond this year? Will it impact you at all? Or you allow it to change everything? As I told you, there have been people that have been coming to this church and they have decided to make that step of faith. They want to be baptized. They want to stand before our church and, and be baptized as Jesus called them to be baptized. It's a step of obedience. Jesus has already rescued them from their lives. Jesus is already at work in them, but they're just identifying themselves as following Jesus. They're going to go into the water and it's as if their past is washed away when they go in and their new life begins as they step out. And I'm just going to extend this to you. I know you're here. You're visiting on Easter. I'm sure you've got plans today. Maybe you're going to go have dinner with, or lunch with family or whatever you're doing. I still want to make the offer. If you have never made that decision to follow Jesus and you would like to do that today, again, we are prepared for you. We have shorts and the baptism t-shirts. And we would say, don't leave here without responding to Jesus. I would... I, I would plead with you, don't leave here without responding to Jesus. My heart is that you would know the joy, the redemption, the healing, the forgiveness that we know. That those who know Jesus, they, that they get to walk in, even when life is not good, they get to walk in that peace. Jesus keeps saying, peace be with you, peace be with you. If that would be you today, I'm going to pray right now, and I would just invite you to come and join me as we go back into, into worship with songs, we're going to have three more songs. During that time, the folks that are being baptized are going to change clothes, and I would invite you, come. Come and talk to me. Let me answer questions if you have questions. Let me pray with you if you need prayer. But if Jesus is stirring in you today, whether you go to church all the time, or you've wandered away, or you've never made that decision, I would love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you. We gather this morning because you're alive. There is there's nothing greater than the message that you gave your life for us, but that you rose from the dead that we might have victory in this life. Yes, we inherit eternity. Yes, we, we get to be with you forever, but yes, we also get to have a new life here. That you've been to walk us through and heal us and redeem us from the things that we struggle with, from the sins that we've committed and the, and the sins that others have committed against us. And Jesus, we are so grateful for you. I just pray quickly, Lord, that if there's anyone here who would want to follow you today, stir their hearts. Burn inside of them. Call them to believe. Maybe they believe immediately. Maybe they have questions. Maybe they need something from you. But I pray, Jesus, you would just do it. Meet everyone where they are. 
and let us celebrate them today as well. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.